Well, hey, this morning, if you have your Bible, go to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 20. Uh, This is one of the most epic passages in all of Scripture, if you ask me. So we're going to dive into it today. Uh, We're talking about the life of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. Elijah's kind of a a, a manly man. Uh, He's kind of a burly kind of a dude, and you're going to see that here in this passage. So far, he's gone up to the most evil king in Israel. Remember back in chapter 16, it tells us that King Ahab, he's the king of Israel right now, has done more to uh, kick God out of Israel. He's done more evil. He set up more uh, of, of, of the false gods for people to worship than any other king that came before him. And so we're going to dive in here to 1 Kings chapter 18. Remember, Elijah has spoken against Ahab. He said that there's going to be a drought until I say so. And then he goes off. God leads him into a Gentile land where he stays with a widow. And we see that he uh, provides for her. God, God creates a miracle where her jars never run dry. And then her son is brought back to life. Just some crazy things. And now Elijah is back and he's ready to confront King Ahab. And so he does so in a really, really epic way. So follow along with me here. It's 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 20. We're going to go to uh, the end of the chapter here. This is what it says. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you will call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And God, who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it for first. For you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and, it called, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. They limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he's on a journey, and perhaps he's asleep, and he must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out of them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. And Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. All the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two sailors of seed, but He put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill jars with water, pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. 
And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their, their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. And the Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let none of them escape. And see, they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed down onto the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. And he went and he looked up and said, there is nothing. He said, go up again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind. And there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. We're going to talk about this epic story, what this means for our lives today. Before we do that, though, Let's just go before the Lord. Let's ask Him for His help with that. Pray with me, if you will. Father, we thank You so much that You are a good God, that You have given us Your Word, that it is good, it's perfect, and we can rely on it. Help us to apply it to our lives today, Father. Again, as we prayed earlier, we just don't want to be the Christians who show up to church and read some Bible passage and hear a pastor talk and leave completely unaffected. Father, we want to hear Your Word. We want to apply it to our lives and we want to glorify you more because of it. So help us to do that today. Soften our hearts. Um, what is it about an underdog story or a come-behind story that everybody likes? Um, I, I was watching the news on uh, Friday morning. Uh, my daughter usually goes to preschool, but she's done with that for the year. And so we kind of had a little bit more of a relaxing morning on Friday. And we're watching the news, and they're talking about the Celtics. Are there any NBA fans Nobody. This is great. Uh, I'm not an NBA fan. I like watching sports, but I have no time to watch sports, so I watch zero sports. So I can't really say that I like them that much. So anyways, uh, apparently the Celtics were behind the heat. I, I'm seeing a bunch of deer in headlights. You guys don't know either. Okay, all I know is the news highlight. So uh, apparently they're behind. There's a seven-game series, first one to four wins. They're behind zero to three, and they won the last couple games. And so on Friday, they're really excited. They're coming behind, and the announcers are like, man, this is awesome. This would be so cool. And they give some statistics that's like ridiculously specific, like all sports statistics. You know, they're like on the most prime day where there's no birthdays, and it's 78 degrees 
these out. You know, they're just crazy statistics. And they're like, this is the first time it's ever going to happen. And this is awesome. And so uh, I was like, oh, oh, that's cool. But they're like so excited about it. So I woke up this morning and the first thing I do was Google, did the Celtics win? Because I wanted to use this as my opening illustration and it wouldn't really work if it wouldn't work. So it worked. They won. Uh, they beat the Miami Heat by one point and they're coming behind. Uh, so they're 3-3. So I guess that means whoever wins the next game wins. Again, I'm no NBA expert, but I guess that's what it means. But everybody loves a come behind victory. What is it about that? I don't, I don't get it, but everyone roots for the underdog, right? And it's just so satisfying. I don't know if people just like to stick it to the man and they're like, yeah, the underdog, he's going to win. This is awesome. But I kind of feel like 1 Kings chapter 18 is the biggest underdog story you've ever seen. It's Elijah versus 450 prophets of Baal. Remember, there were some prophets of the Lord. We saw that in the passage that we looked at earlier on in uh, chapter 18. Last week we looked at that. Obadiah hid 100 prophets, uh, but they're all in caves. And so it's really just Elijah that's left. And he's up against 450 prophets of Baal. Remember, King Ahab, he's an evil king. Uh, he married uh, Queen Jezebel. She comes from a place that worships Baal. And what you have to understand about Baal is he is a fertility god, both in people and of the land. And so they would pray to Baal for rain, that he would send rain and that that would uh, give the earth uh, a, a way to produce crops. And so what Elijah has done is he's really said, hey, listen, I'm going to step in. I'm going to say there's going to be a drought and there's going to be a drought till I say that there's not going to be a drought. And what Elijah is really doing when he does that, when he steps in in chapter 17 and he says that to King Ahab, what he's really saying is he's saying, I don't believe in your God. I don't believe your God can do what your God thinks he could do or what you think your quote unquote God can do. I don't think he can really send the rain. And so when he does this, this is an epic, epic matchup. And here's what makes it even better. Uh, King Ahab thinks he's being so cool when he does this, but it really works against him. Look at verse 20. It says, Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Look at this. He sent to all the people of Israel. Everybody knows about this matchup. This is on everybody's Facebook uh, feed and everybody's news. Everybody knows about what's happening here. And he's wanting to shame Elijah here. He's saying, hey, I want everybody here. I want to show, man, I've got 450 prophets of Baal, and they're going to take you down, Elijah. Now, obviously, we know this works against King Ahab here. He's got everybody here. And this is what Elijah says to them in verse 21. He says, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people didn't answer a word. And so what Elijah does is he sets up this epic, epic test. Before we get there, though, I want to just point out what he says. He says, How long are you going to go limping between two different opinions? You know, it makes me think about in Revelation. And we just went over this passage not too long ago, earlier this spring. We looked at the seven different letters to churches in our Be the Church sermon series. And we looked at the church in Laodicea. And Jesus says, I spit you out of my mouth because you're neither hot or cold. You're lukewarm. And what Elijah is saying here is he's kind of saying that. He's saying, hey, you're limping between Baal and God. Sometimes you worship Baal. Sometimes you cry out to the God of Israel. What, what are you? What even are you? And it makes me think about 
You know, the Christianity that we find kind of in our culture here today in the country that we live in, oftentimes it can kind of be this lukewarm Christianity, right? Kind of be like, oh, well, you know, um, my parents were Catholic, and so, you know, I, I, guess, I'm, I guess I'm Catholic. Or, you know, my, my, I grew up going to a Baptist church, and so that's kind of, you know, that's just kind of what we do. Is we just go, you know, Sundays that, you know, well, when the weather's not, you know, super nice, and, you know, when there's not a golf tournament on TV or something better to watch, you know, then, you know, then we, can, we can show up to church. And it's kind of like you're limping between two different opinions here. And Elijah's saying to the people, hey, no more going between Baal and, going, and, and then kind of limping between him and, and God. It's one or the other. And so for us today, we need to look at this too, at what Elijah is saying and saying, hey, we got to be all in on God. There's nothing that should be taking us away. We shouldn't be limping between these two different opinions. So let's take a look at what that means for us today. Elijah, he sets this up and he gives every advantage to the prophets of Baal. He says, hey, listen, you pick out the bull, you pick out everything that you want, you set it up exactly how you want it to be, it would, as, as flammable as humanly possible, and you just cry out to your God, and you, you just cry out, and, uh, and whoever lights uh, a fire, that is the real God here. And it says, but no fire to it. It has to be your God that puts the fire to it. And so they do that, they, they put it all up, and then they limp around, and nobody answers. And this is one of the, I'm, probably one of my favorite verses in entirety of Scripture. Verse 27 here in chapter 18. I think Elijah would have been a fun guy to be around. He mocks him. I mean, literally, he literally cries out, and he goes, hey, um, this is in scripture. You can't get mad at me for saying this. Um, maybe your God's on the toilet and his bowel movements are too loud and he can't hear you. Maybe you should cry out louder. I mean, this is really what he's saying here when he's saying, is he musing or is he relieving himself? This is a Hebrew phrase that means he's in the bathroom, okay? He's going to the bathroom. Oh, and then he goes on. Maybe, he's on. maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's camping. Maybe you need to call out louder. Uh, maybe, maybe he's taking a nap. Right? I mean, he's just a funny guy, and he's mocking them. And this is, that's funny to read, and I, that's why I think it's one of my most uh, favorite verses here. But the next one's really, really sad, though. It, it's funny to read that. He mocks them, and then this is how they respond, right? Because they could have responded by saying, you know what, Elijah, pff, you're right. This is ridiculous. This guy, he's not doing anything. You're right. But all must be a false god. Nothing's happening here. But instead of having that reaction, they have this reaction in verse 28. It says, They cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. This is, it says, as was their custom. This, this is something that they did frequently. This is not a one-off. This is not like a, oh, well, we got a lot of people here, and we don't want to, Elijah's mocking us, so we better step up our game. This is something that they would do constantly. And yet, in verse 29, it didn't work. It says, as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. If you want to be all in for God, and you don't want to limp in between two opinions here, here's what you need to realize, first and foremost. You need to realize that you can be sincere, and you can be wrong. 
You can be sincere and you can be wrong. These prophets of Baal, they're very sincere. They fully believe. I mean, you wouldn't cut yourself until blood rushed out if you didn't really believe that your God is a God who's going to light this sacrifice on fire. They're very sincere. It, it reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 5. He's, he's talking about these uh, very religious, religious people who were uh, looked up upon in Israel. And he says, when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They look sincere. They are doing all of the right things by society standards, but deep down, their heart's not in the right place. You see, the enemy, he's going to try and pull us away from God any way that he can, and he's sneaky about it. Often he'll tell us half-truths. Think about how the enemy talks to people in Scripture. Often he'll use half-truths to pull people away. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to be sober-minded and watchful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And in this story, we see that the sincere people, the prophets of Baal, were just flat-out wrong. But in every situation, it's not always like that. We don't get a clear picture of it. In fact, there's a, a guy named, uh, by the name of Stephen in, in Acts. And he's, uh, he's a, a good servant of the Lord. He serves the church well. But the Jewish people don't like that. And so they take Stephen and they kill him. And it says in chapter 8 that devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. So these are devout men. These are guys who love the Lord. But Saul, this is later on Paul, he'll go on to write 13 uh, uh, books of the, new, of the 27 in the New Testament here. Uh, but before he did that, he killed Christians. He was against Christianity and says, but Saul was raving the church. He entered the house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Not always by these earthly standards are the right people in the right situation here uh, put, uh, they don't always win like Elijah, right? They don't always have, the, have this comeback victory. Sometimes it doesn't end up that way. And yet, it doesn't make them any less correct. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. This is towards the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He'll say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Sometimes... We don't see who was correct until the end. And so you have to be on biblical standards. You can't say and, and, and be moved with kind of the ebbs and flows of culture. In Israel, that culture at that point loved Baal. They're all about Baal, this false prophet, this false god. They're all about him. And yet it, it doesn't make it right. Jesus will go on and he'll say, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. I could almost imagine the prophets of Baal saying, Yeah, but I did so many good things for Israel. I was so devout. I cried out. I, I, I cut myself. Blood gushed out. And then, look at this. Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You can be sincere, you can be devout, but you can be devout about the wrong things. So what is the right thing? Well, Elijah's going to go on, and he's going to prove to them that God is the true 
God. It says, at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. This is really important. This is kind of a, just a side note, but it's important to me that I tell you this. Um, this wasn't Elijah's plan, right? It wasn't Elijah's plan that he would say, hey, let's test it and let's put the Lord to the test. In fact, oftentimes in Scripture we're told not to put God to the test. That would show a, a, a lack of faith on our part. But this is what God told Elijah to do in this specific situation. And he says, answer me, O Lord, that this people may know, look at this, this is important too, know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. See, Elijah's not doing this for his own good. He's not doing this so people look at him and go, oh man, you're such a good prophet of the Lord, Elijah. You're so awesome. Man, we should just do everything that you say. Elijah's motives are pure. They're saying, hey, listen, I don't have any selfish ambition about this. I just want for people to worship the one and true God. And he does this. And, and remember, he has the prophets of Baal put water all around and soak the sacrifice. And it says this, after Elijah prays, that then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and even licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, there's been a lot of speculation, uh, especially among scholars, of how God exactly did this. We find out later in the passage that uh, the sky was clear, there was no clouds, so uh, it more than likely was not a strike of lightning. We're not exactly sure how God did that, but the reality is that God did do that, that He lit that on fire. And then it says, when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God. This is what was supposed to happen, that God or that people would come to God and worship Him. Now, the problem is, they didn't last very long. The people of Israel, they, they don't remember this very long. They'll leave God here in just a, a quick moment. But in this moment, Elijah did what God told him to do. And God came through and He shows the people His glory and His power. He shows them that there is only one true God. And in our lives... If we want to make sure that we're not limping in between God and in between sin or in between how people view us or how our reputation is and or if we want to just uh, go limping between God and a, a sin issue in our lives. Hey, we got to remember if we want to be all in for God, that there is only one true God. There is not uh, multiple ways to heaven. Jesus says this in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A lot of people want to say, oh, well, you just be a good person, and um, God can't turn you down. He's got to let you into heaven if you're a good enough person. It doesn't matter what you think about Jesus. Just, just, be, just be a good person, and then God can't turn you down. Otherwise, he wouldn't be a good God. But that's not how God has set things up. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12 says there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. There is one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross. And it's by believing in that and accepting him as your Lord and Savior that that is done. And that is the only way that that can be done. It's not by a karma points where you're stacking up your good versus your bad. It's not having Jesus and a bunch of other things along with him. It's Jesus and it's only Jesus. And if you want to make sure that you're all in on God, you got to be on that page and say, no, things aren't going to pull me away just because people are sincere and they believe that. That doesn't make it right. I believe in one God. His name is Jesus Christ. And that's it. Then Elijah will do this. And this is a gruesome verse. So stick with me here. Verse 40, it says, Elijah said to him, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. Now you might be wondering, whoa, that seems a little like literal overkill, right? I mean, this is, this is like, whoa, why did you have to do that? But what uh, Elijah is doing is he's following Old Testament verses all the way back to the verses in Deuteronomy where God says, hey, listen, if there are people in Israel who teach other than me, teach gods other than me, and they're leading people astray, you have to kill them. This is a death penalty issue. This is it so important to God. What Elijah is doing is he's actually just obeying the Lord here, and he's saying it's time to put these people to death. They're pulling people away from God, which is ultimately leading them towards death. And so Elijah says, no, 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 the death, it stops here. And the prophets are dying. And in our lives, once we realize, hey, listen, people can be sincere and they can be wrong. What our God is, is Jesus Christ. That is our God. He is the only way to heaven. After that then, and sometimes we get these out of order, but after that then, it's time to expel anything in our lives that draws us away from God. Sometimes we think, well, I got to clean myself up. I got to fix these sin issues in my life, and then I can come to Jesus. I got, I got to make sure uh, my life is good, and then I can go to church, then I can go to God, then I can be saved. What that is doing is turning things around into a works-based salvation, and suddenly now we're doing, it's the karma points things, right? Like we're doing all these good things so we can turn our lives around. And what the, the gospel is, is Jesus says, hey, no, 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 while you were still sinners, I died for you. In other words, Jesus wants a relationship with you right now, no matter what you've done, no matter the sin in your life, no matter where you are in your life right now, Jesus says right now, I want a relationship with you. And I gave my life on the cross to make that possible. I want a relationship with you no matter what. And then we'll fix things along the way, right? Jesus says, you come to me, and then we're going to start making your life uh, look less like you and more like me. But you got to come to me first. Jesus says this, and this is on his sin on the, or the Sermon on the Mount here. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that the, your whole body be thrown into hell. Or if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members 
than that your whole body go to hell. He says, hey, listen, after you've come to me, it's time to get the sin out of your life, the lust, the gossip, all of the sin in your life. It's time for it to leave. And here's the amazing part. This is the promise that Jesus gives to us. 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing you these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus says, no matter where you are, I've died for your sins. And I want a relationship with you. And the promise is that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteous. Now, here's what's really interesting to me. Um, when you were a kid, uh, did you ever mess up and you didn't want to go to your parents, right? Because you didn't want to get in trouble, right? I mean, you, what's, what's the whole deal? You keep it away from them, you kind of sneak around, you take it behind their backs, and what? might get away with it. You probably won't, but you might get away with it, and the chance is probably worth it. Parents, you've probably seen your kids do that. If not, newsflash, they're doing it, right? They're, they're, they're going to disobey you. They're sinful people just like we are. They need Jesus just like we, we do, and so uh, the, thing, the thing with that is, though, is that they don't want to get in trouble, and that's why you sneak around, right? And the promise that God has for us is that we don't have to. Number one, he already knows that you can't hide anything from God. But the promise is that God says, hey, you just bring it to me, and there's forgiveness through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And that's the best news in the entire world. That's the best news of all time, that Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sins, and he is the way to be saved. One more thing it looks like in our lives, this story shows us that our lives uh, looks like to be all in for God. Look at verse 42. Um, after Elijah slaughters all the prophets, he goes and tells Ahab, hey, listen, why don't you go get a bite to eat? The rain's coming soon. It's been a long day. I'm going to go pray. It says, so Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees. He's had a huge victory. He should be on top of the world and honestly, if I were Elijah, I think I would be rubbing it into King Ahab's face. Ha! I beat 450 of your so-called prophets? Yeah, look at them now. I killed them. <laughs> I'm pretty awesome, aren't I? <laughs> you should probably listen to me because I'm right and you're wrong, right? Okay, that's probably how I would be. Uh, Elijah's much more humble than that. He says, hey, I want you to go get a bite tea. It's been a long day. I'm going to go pray. And if you want to be all in for God, this is what it looks like. It looks like you having a very fervent prayer life. And it looks like sticking with God and saying, hey, look, just like in Psalm 1, it's the tree planted by water, right? It's like John 15 where we are the, the branch, and, or he is the vine and we are the branches and we're stuck in with God. This is what prayer does for us. And it's not just prayer before you eat. It's not just prayer on a Sunday morning. It's all the time, like Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians says, pray without ceasing. Colossians 4.2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Romans 12.12 says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. This is what it looks like to be all in for God. That we are constant 
in our prayers. That you have a constant dialogue going on with the Lord. And when you do, it's really hard to go back to that sin. Right? Like when you're constantly dialoguing with God, it's really difficult to go and gossip behind your coworkers' back. It's really difficult to, 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 to go back and, and to sin. This is what this story shows us. Elijah says, how long will you go limping between two opinions? Either you're all in on God or you're not. You guys know my story. Uh, when I was a teenager, I went to a youth conference and I was not all in for God. I showed up to church because it was fun. There was a goofy youth pastor and we played games. My friends were there. I mean, that's really, that's really why I showed up. And then God told me something. He says, Josh, you're either all in or you're not. There's no limping between two opinions. There's no lukewarm here. You're either in or you're out. You're hot or you're cold. But the lukewarm I will spit out of my mouth. So my question for you is today, are you in or are you out? Do you love Jesus with everything that you got? Are you fervent in your prayer life? Are you getting out anything in your life that takes you away from Him? Is He the only true God in your life? Or are you limping between God and other things? Are you limping between God and sin? Is there anything in your life that pulls you away from Jesus? Is there a sin issue in your life that you're dealing with? Is there something that is causing you to limp in between God and something else? Get it out. Today's the day to choose Jesus and to go all in and give him everything that you've got. And if you've never done that before, we're going to pray in just a moment. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. If you choose to do that today, please come and talk to me. Uh, this isn't just a one and done situation. This is a lifelong thing to choose to love Jesus. It changes your life. It will transform you. And it's the biggest decision you could ever make. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this epic story that Elijah had in his life. And we thank you that it wasn't just for him. It wasn't just for people thousands of years ago. It's for us here today. It shows us how do we go between limping between two opinions, just like the Israelites were, and loving you, Father. God, if there's something going on in our lives that's causing us to pull away from you, God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and the courage to get it out of our lives. Just like Elijah killed those 450 prophets, Jesus, like you said, that, that if there's something that's causing you to sin, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. God, that we would have that courage to say, get this out of my life. I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm all in for you, Jesus. I'm no longer limping between two opinions, but I'm all in. You can have it all, God. God, if there's someone here today that has never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, Jesus, I pray that today would be their day that they would do that. That they would choose you. That they would no longer go between limping between things, but God, that they would choose you and that because of that, their life would be different. That you would transform them. I thank you for each and every person who's already chosen to do that here today. I thank you, God, for the work, the work that you've done to make that happen. 
I thank you for the work that you've done in myself. Jesus, I pray that we would never go limping between two opinions, but that we would choose to worship you with everything that we have. Help us to give you everything. It's in your precious, life-changing name we pray. Amen.